0: Amen. All right. Again, I want to encourage you to continue praying. Be praying fervently and, and hard for uh, God to move. I'll be honest. It's a little difficult for me to preach in the, in the dark right now. So uh, bear with me. But uh, I was thinking about it this week. I, and, and it was one of those memories that, oh, my goodness, it was just a crazy memory back in my life. But I was thinking about, for me, the biggest test I ever took for all of academia uh, in my life was uh, my senior year of undergrad, and it was this class that everybody called OTB. And when you hear that 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 set of letters just in everybody's head, it was dun 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 And OTB stood for Old Testament Backgrounds, and it was notoriously the, the most difficult class in in my degree program, and was um, likely the most difficult class I had ever taken. And uh, on top of taking this class, my time was really, really thin at that point in my life. I was working crazy hours uh, trying to uh, purchase an engagement ring for a special lady, and uh, I was also uh, preaching my first sermons ever. I mean, that was one of the years that I just first started preaching and kind of doing a little bit of traveling and preaching, and so I was spending crazy hours trying to write sermons or learn how to write sermons, and then deliver them and then go home and feel like it was just absolutely terrible. And so it was a it was a it was a crazy, crazy semester for me. And then on top of this, this class just had so much reading. I mean more reading than I'd ever had before in, in one class. And and then the grading for the class was only two tests for the entire class. And so the class was two tests and each test was fifty percent of your final grade. And so I remember it was just this class that everybody dreaded. I took it and I, I took the first test, and I remember doing really well. I got a ninety six on the on the test, and just was stunned by that and Sure enough, the second test rolls around, and I just was not prepared. I was totally caught off guard for for this test, and I just remember thinking this is not this is not good and the way the test function was this: the professor would give you twenty five possible essay questions, and then you would show up to class, and you would have to answer five to six of those essay questions, handwritten two pages per question in an hour period. And so your, your hand just was like it was going to fall off. And it was stressful. I mean, memorizing upwards of 50 pages of handwritten information was absolutely crazy. And so test one did well on, test two snuck up on me, and I was only able to give myself three days to prepare for this test, and it wasn't long enough. And so three days to prepare, memorize 50% or 50 pages of this, this information for 50% of my class, I just remember thinking over and over and over again in that period, I wish there was a way out. Is there a way out? Could there be a way out? Is there any way that I can get around this? This is, this is way too heavy of a test. Is there anything that I can do to get out of this? And I was just thinking and thinking and thinking. And so the morning of the test comes along, we go into class, and I remember looking around and thinking, I'm not alone. <laughs> like, I'm looking at all these guys, and everybody looked like they hadn't slept for an entire week. And so I remember sitting down with all these ridiculously stressed out students and ready to go for this test, but scared out of our minds about, you know, not doing well, failing this class, and, and having to take it over again. And so we're sitting there. The professor walks into the room with a little bit of a smirk on his face, and he looks around, and I'll never forget this, the, the, probably one of the best phrases of my life that I've ever heard, but he says, you look like you've all studied very hard for this test. Things are very crazy right now with my family, and I don't have time to grade essay tests. He says, if you're pleased with your first grade, test number one, that's your grade. And I, I about just jumped out of my seat and went and hugged and kissed the man. I had to do everything not to just love this man. And, and I was so excited. And so I got the 96 for the class. One test for the entire, entire class. And I'll just never forget how desperate I was. Is there any way to get out of this test? Just constantly think. Because I, I just wasn't prepared for test number two like I was for, for test number one. And I'll tell you this. As I think through the tests of life, the trials of life, what I just received in that class was a a once-in-a-lifetime rare, rare, rare uh, occasion. Because for us, life's trials, life's challenges, life's difficulties, life's tests are going to come and perhaps like me, you've been there, maybe you're there now, and you're thinking, is there any possible way that I can get out of this test? Can I, can I skip this? Can I just bypass this? Is there, is there any way at all? But more often than not, you're going to have to face it. You're going to have to endure and, and go through the, the test. They're inescapable. And if our faith is all-encompassing, if our faith, as it should be, bleeds into every area of our lives and, and, and is a part of, of who we are at the core, as it should be, then your test, your challenge, your, your trials of life are deeply, deeply connected to your, your faith. And so today we finish up in Daniel chapter 6, the first half of the book of Daniel, the historical narrative of the life of Daniel. The second half are the visions of, of Daniel, but we finish up the historical narrative uh, of Daniel, and we see for Daniel a very intense period of his life—just a, a day and a night, very, very intense period—where Daniel, as you know, goes in and, by God's grace, comes out of of the lion's den. And so that's where we're at today. And and some of you, I, I I'm assuming some of you are are in some sort of lion's den in life. Some of you are in some kind of trial. Right now, maybe some of you have just come out of one. Maybe some of you are are going into it. And I want you, as we hear uh, this narrative this morning, to be very, very encouraged and know that God wants to, like Daniel, bring you in it. And yep, you're going to have to go in it. And yet he wants to bring you out with integrity and with your faith still intact. And coming out of that trial, maybe you coming out of that trial sometime in this life, it may be you coming out of that trial, and you're coming out not until eternity, but God will bring you through, and God will prove himself faithful. And so here's where we're at. Leading up to this point, we have seen Nebuchadnezzar and, and Babylon take Daniel in chapter 1 and, and many youths of Babylon and, and keep them as captives, train them, stack the kingdom. And um, Daniel and, and three other young men, his friends, say we're going to be faithful, we're going to honor the Lord, we will not defile ourselves at the beginning of of chapter 1. And they were faithful and God honored them for that. As we have affectionately named this series, they made up their minds stemming from the NASB version of of Daniel chapter 1 verse 8. They made up their minds that they would not defile themselves. And that as young teenage boys sets the trajectory for the rest of their life. From here, in the chapters in between, leading up to Daniel chapter 6, as we have talked about, there have been some transfers of power along the way, and very big, important transfers of power, from Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor of Babylon, to his son Belshazzar, moving on to um, to, uh, the, to Darius, the Mede, and then the Medo-Persian Empire. So there's all these transfers of, of power happening. But what is so exciting to see is that though all these transfers of power are happening, Daniel is still there. Daniel is still there, and he's riding them on. So as we last week moved into Daniel chapter 6, let's not miss just the significance. Let's slow down and just think through last week again and not miss the significance of of what has happened in Daniel chapter 6. Catch this. The greatest empire that the world had ever known up to this point has fallen. And the Medes... And the Persians have, have come in. And, and just, I want you to listen to Acts chapter 17, to what Paul says when he stands in Athens before the Areopagus, also known as Mars Hill. Listen to what Paul says. He says, God has determined the allotted periods and boundaries of every nation. God has determined the allotted periods and boundaries of, of every nation. And so we've seen through history that nations are born, nations come, and they go. And it's all under God's predetermined plan that this happens with nations. But God's people, God's people span nations. God's people span all these periods. And, and now we see Daniel now in his late 80s and he has ridden over the current of all these nations, all these world powers, all these emperors coming and, and going. He has risen up from a teenager who was in exile being used for his brains and his good looks and his athletic capability. They used him. He has risen beyond that, gained influence, and now is somebody very important in Babylon and now the Medo-Persian Empire. He is a governor. He is now appointed the prime minister, as we saw last week, of of Medo-Persian. And the thread in history is God's redemptive plan. In history, the thread is God's people. He will save his people. He will draw people to himself. Nations are not the thread that keep things together. So should we pray, God bless America? Absolutely, we should pray God bless America. But we shouldn't be praying God bless America to the wrongful elevation of the ch- the, the the country to the same level as as the church in Christ's kingdom. And and today in our own country, I think many Christians are tempted to do that. And I think you would probably agree with me. I saw a I saw a bumper sticker the other day. I was at a light in West Roxbury, and the car in front of it said, "God bless all the other nations too." And I thought that was cool. I thought that was cool. And so we pray that God would bless all the other nations too. And, and, and we should be involved in country. Daniel was involved in country. He was highly influential, but not to the diminishment of the church. Now catch this verse. This is good. This is from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. Here's what he says. He says, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. The nations are like a drop from a a, a bucket counted as dust on the scales. Here's what it's not saying. It's not saying that the nations are unimportant to God. Not saying that at all. We read through scripture that God has a heart for the nations. God has a heart for the nations. But what it's saying, what it's saying is that the nations are a drop from a bucket, put on the scales, they're merely dust. In other words, they have very little consequence. They are inconsequential in God's big picture. And so in the middle of that day, Daniel's day as an exile. Can you imagine Daniel? Can you imagine these other guys? I can only imagine them thinking, this is crazy. This, this empire, it's massive, and they probably have no, no understanding of, of what life would be like apart from the Babylonian empire. Archaeology has, has dug up literally thousands upon thousands of bricks, and the bricks have Nebuchadnezzar's name inscribed on them. Some of them have a stamp of, of Nebuchadnezzar's image on it. They, people just couldn't imagine life without Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian Empire. There's just such power, and it was hard for them to just imagine life apart from that. But here we sit today, and Babylon is but, as the Scripture says, because Scripture is true and right, Babylon is but a drop in, in, in the bucket. And so nations come and go, and we see Pharaohs, we see Nebuchadnezzar, we see Cyrus, Belshazzar, Darius, we go on through history to the Caesars, to Mussolini, to to Church Hill, to to Hitler, and on and on and on, and nations come and go, and leaders come and go, but God's redemptive plan is in it all, and God's people span all of it. So here we are, chapter 6, the end of the the historical narrative of of the the book of Daniel, the life of, of Daniel, and Daniel is still standing now in his late 80s, still standing in a place of influence. Chapter one: Nebuchadnezzar takes Daniel and these guys as, as exiles, and there was no end in sight. But here in chapter six, Nebuchadnezzar is long gone, and Daniel, God's man, still standing with influence. Really good stuff. Last week, in the beginning of chapter six, what we saw was that Daniel became distinguished among all the other other governors there. In the Aramaic language, it says that he was continually distinguishing himself. So Daniel was a guy who didn't just do one thing really well, but he continually distinguished himself, gained influence, and he just constantly stood out. And it goes on and says that he distinguished himself because he had an excellent spirit, which refers not to um, spirits and and ghosts and things of that nature. It refers to his attitude. He had an excellent spirit. And, And maybe some of you right now Wherever you're at, the trial in your life, maybe you feel like there's, there's no end in sight. There's, there's no hope in sight. And I would encourage you from the example of Daniel to have an excellent spirit in the middle of all of it. To have a God-honoring attitude in the middle of, of, of your, your trial. And, and of course, I think for us, some of us maybe are thinking, well, it, yeah, it would have been easy for Daniel to have an excellent spirit. As we saw in verse 10 of chapter 6, Daniel had a penthouse suite, so that's kind of nice. He had all this power, so that's kind of nice. Of course, of course, it would be easy for him to have an excellent spirit. But don't forget about all the trial, all the difficulty that Daniel had gone through um, as an exile in Judah and is, is continually going through. He continued to distinguish himself as an exile. He continued to distinguish himself as one who had recently had Three of his closest buddies nearly executed in, 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 in Daniel chapter 3. And, and so it's easy to try to discredit his faithfulness. But Daniel had, had difficulty, though he had influence. And, and know this, that Daniel's faithfulness was constant, 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 in and out of the trial. But it's not over yet. So Daniel chapter 6, um, 1 through 10, we looked at last week. This week we'll continue on and see that there's another trial there's another test, and it is a major one, perhaps the, the greatest one of, of his life. So we saw last week, Daniel chapter 6, he was promoted, right? He was promoted to governor, and then he was promoted to one of the three presidents over the governors. And then they were well on their way to promoting him to be the president of the, the presidents. And then the leaders underneath Daniel found themselves really jealous, really jealous of Daniel. And, and they see him raising the ranks. And so they set their sights on him. We want to take this guy down. And so they go for Daniel. But it says, as we saw last week, they couldn't find any fault with him. He's a man of God. Verse 5 last week, Daniel chapter 6, says that they realize the only accusation we can find against Daniel is if it has something to do with asking him to stop practicing his faith. And so they go to King Darius And they say, Darius, we think that you should issue an injunction that nobody should pray to anyone other than you. And the way they did that is they flattered Darius. They said, oh, king, oh, king, oh, king. They said it three times, and they just flattered him. And what they were doing is is like some beautiful woman coming and enticing a married man away from his wife, likewise, they were enticing Darius and they were flattering him and blinding him and saying, oh, Darius, oh, Darius, you are so wonderful. You are the king. Let's have people pray only to you. And by doing that, he forgets that by issuing a decree like this and no one could pray to anyone other than him, he would increment his trusted statesman, Daniel. And so Darius goes on. He signs the document. He incriminates uh, Daniel. But in in verse 10, it says Daniel goes to his house and he prays three times a day. And here's what he wasn't doing, as we said last week. He wasn't going to pray to stick it to the man. He wasn't going to say, well, I'll show you and I'll go pray because it goes on in verse 10. It says he goes and prays in his upper chamber three times a day. It says, as he had done previously. So this was his practice. He was a guy who prayed three times a day and that was the key to his power, coming before the Lord. Now we pick up Daniel chapter six, verse ten, where we left off last week, and, and we can move kind of fast through these narratives because they're they're narratives, and so we're going to move fast through this historical account. You ready? Daniel six, ten through thirteen, says when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees. 3 times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast. According To the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered and said before the king Daniel, who is one of the exiles of Judah, pays no attention to you, king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. So we see here that life isn't necessarily as easy as one may think for Daniel. Yes, he has a nice pad, he's got an upper suite, yes, he has a lot of power, but he also has these politicians out to find dirt and and politicians don't do that anymore today fortunately but these politicians were out to find dirt on him and 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 they dig up the dirt on Daniel and they find that he was in fact breaking the the law he was going against the injunction and I just want to let you know that as Christians we are to be law abiding citizens I think we we get that Romans chapter 13 says that we're to pay our taxes we're to be completely honest in in that area we're to be above reproach with the law were to be law abiding until the law calls us to disobey God. That's why in, in Acts chapter five you see Peter and you see the the other uh, apostles say, We obey God rather than men. Uh, but if the the occasion does come where you have to obey God rather than men, we're to do so civilly. And so we see this in the life of Daniel here. He is breaking the law and he is doing so civilly. And so the politicians bring this news. To Darius the king they're thinking yes we got him we've taken this guy out they've set their sights on him and they bring it to Darius about his trusted statesman and what they do first is they confirm with Darius that injunction that he signed and so they say O king did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man except to you O king shall be cast into the den of lions and Darius replies yep yep everything still stands that's that's what I said and so at that, they say, well, then, Daniel, Daniel is ignoring you. And he's praying three times a day. And so Daniel, as you see, now is in the thick of a, of a new trial. They're out to get him. They have their sights on him. They're taking him down. And, and it is a tough trial. He continues in prayer as he should but he's got all these people out to get him. They're trying to take him out. He has more pressure on him politically and now just in his, in his, his faith than, than any of us, I think, could probably ever uh, imagine. And unlike my essay test, there's no escaping it for Daniel. He is in it. He has to go through it. He, he, he knows that there is no other option. He had uh, the, the king's favor, but now the law was involved. He has clearly the, the favor of the Lord. But now he's not going to stop praying. That is an irrevocable call of God that we are to be a people of, of prayer. He's also now had the reputation of being a man of God among the people of his country. And, and he can't blow 70 years worth of, of testimony in this country. And so in Daniel's eyes, he has no option. There is no getting out of, of this. I, I can't get out of this. I will, I, there's no way to escape this challenging situation. And, and, and I want us to, to, to look at together for the rest of our time. As we continue through the narrative, I just want to look at some appropriate questions to be asking in life's trials. So we're just going to give you three points here. Appropriate questions to be asking in, in life's trials or life's challenges. And, and here's the first one. Because for all of us, it's inevitable. Trials will come. Challenges will come. And, and so principle number one, the appropriate questions in life's challenges, is this. The question is not, how will I get around this? The question is, how will I get through this? Not how will I get around this, but how will I, I get through this? So many of us, when, when, when life's challenges come our way, the first thing we do is we start to think about the way out. How can I get around this? And and, and we need to, to, to ready ourselves instead to get through it, not to, to get around it. As a, as a child, a, a phrase I heard very often growing up, from my my mother was when your father gets home from work, you're getting a spanking. And so I just remember the rest of the day, what that meant for me was my task was to get out of the spanking by convincing my, my mother that I was really good or that I had learned my lesson so I could get out of the spanking, get around the, the spanking. But it, w- it was inevitable. The spanking always came. She was very consistent in that. And so rather than trying to prove that I learned my lesson or that I was good enough, I didn't deserve that spanking that I had earned earlier, it was inevitable. It was coming. And so I eventually got to the point where I faced the music, I'm getting the spanking, and so I had to change my mindset as a kid. Okay, it's no longer about how I can get out of the spanking. But how can I get through this spanking alive, right? And so I would come out with these plans. Like one one plan that worked for a while, and then I got found out was I would layer my underwear, right? And so I'd put you know, Scooby-Doo, and then I would put Transformers on top of that one, you know. And then I would put you know my My Little Pony. Just kidding. I'd put another one on top on top of that. And so I, I would have layers of of underwear, and it, it it worked for a while. And I you know that's how I got through it alive. And another one that that just didn't work, but it seemed brilliant at the time, was to, remember the golden books with the little golden bound edge to shove those down the back? And I mean, it sounded like he was hitting a two-by-four. My dad's not dumb, right? And so it just, it just didn't work. But my idea was I'm not going to get out of it, so I have to get through it. And, and, and I want us to begin to work from that perspective that we need to get through it. And how are we going to get through it? How do we prepare ourselves to get through the trials that are going to come? And you've got to know, I think half of the battle is knowing that they will come. They will come. They will come. So many people when a trial comes, they say, God, are you real? What happened? He says, no, they, they will come. They will come. But Scripture also says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So he's, he's allowing trials to come to show you that that I in you will help you to defeat this trial. So let's stop thinking, how can I get out of it? Let's start thinking, how can I get I get through it? And it was pretty clear that Daniel had a, had a plan. Ironically enough, as Daniel drew near to God, it was the the thing that helped him get through it was the also, also the thing that caused him to be in the trial, right? His prayer life helped him to get through it, but his prayer life was also the thing that caused him to be in the trial. In the trial, but we see all throughout all throughout the book of Daniel, as his life was this ongoing trial. We see that Daniel had a plan, right? Daniel chapter one, we talked about the fact that he was a planner and he had a plan to ensure faithfulness. He had that plan that he and his guys said, "We will not defile ourselves." So here's what we want to do: we want to eat only vegetables and drink only water. And so they had this plan so that they would not defile himself. He also had a plan that I, I'm going to surround myself with the right people. And so he, he surrounds himself with these three guys, Han and Mishael, Azariah. Maybe you need to start to think, who, who when the trial comes, who can I trust? Who can I open up my heart to? What Christian brothers or sisters can I pour myself into rather than secluding myself as so many do when the trials come? Know that I can open up to somebody or know that you have the people in your life that they can talk to you and say, what's wrong? What's going on? That they know you well enough. But you have to think through these things before you get into the trial. You come up with a plan. How am I going to get through it? Also, we saw that Daniel had a routine. Very clearly, he had a routine that three times a day he was going to pray no matter what. If a lion's den can't stop him, other things can't stop him. And so he had a routine that he was committed to and, and he went before the Lord three times a day. I'm sure there's other aspects to the plan uh, of Daniel, but I just want to get us thinking. Start to plan. How are you going to get through the trial? And it's difficult to plan when, you, when it hits you, but if you can plan now before you're there, God will help you with that plan to get through the trial. James 1 says when you meet various trials. Not if, but when you meet various trials. So let's stop trying to get out of them, and let's plan on how we're going to get through them and prep ourselves for getting getting through them and and start to say what is my emergency response plan for when the storm comes not how can i forecast the storm like we think about storms we forecast them we 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 we, we try to get out of them but if the hurricane's coming the hurricane's coming we're not going to get enough people to stand there and say no stop it's coming so how are we going to respond how are we going to get through it get planning get planning how are we going to get through it it keeps going now let's look daniel chapter 6 Fourteen through twenty it says. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, "Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king has established, establishes can be changed." Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid in the mouth the, on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord's and nothing, uh, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and, and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, your servant, servant of the living God. Where do you think he learned that, by the way? Where, did he, where do you think he learned that phrase, servant of the living God? He talked to Daniel, who said, I'm a servant of the living God. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you? From the lions, we'll leave you there at the moment of suspense, even though I think you already heard this story growing up. It's pretty cool to read that. You think Daniel has the favor of Darius? You think Darius likes Daniel? I think that's pretty clear. It says that King Darius was dis- dis- just distressed when he realized he had incriminated Daniel he was torn about it It says that he labored until evening trying to arrange a way to get Daniel out of this situation but according to the law of the Medes and the Persians an injunction issued by the king cannot be reversed even by the king and so Darius bound by his own law has Daniel cast into the den of lions and as he does what does he say to Daniel he says Daniel may your God deliver you May, may your God, who you serve, deliver you. And then they roll this stone over the mouth of the cave. So you can imagine what it would probably be as a, as a cave with, with the front entrance. And then over top of the cave is some kind of hole where they would view uh, what was happening. And so they could also drop people in, pull people out. And so they would roll the stone over the top, the mouth of, of the cave. And then Darius, it says, he seals it with this impression on clay with his signet ring and the rings of these other lords and this was to tell people do not tamper with the lions den don't try to save daniel he's in there it's the law don't free him and then it goes on and it says that the king he wasn't eating all night long he was awake all night long, he has this restless night. You can just imagine, maybe you've had restless nights. He has a restless night for something that he had to do. He was upset that he had been tricked. He was upset that he had to put his trusted administrator in the lion's den. And then it, it says that he couldn't sleep and he had no diversions brought to him. So just picture where the king was. He had no diversions brought to him. In other words, he couldn't sleep. But he was so stressed about this thing. He didn't bring in the musicians to entertain him while he stayed up all night. He didn't bring in people dancing to entertain him. No diversions. You just picture the king just pacing all night long, just so upset about what he has done, the, the position that he has Daniel in. No diversions brought. And this is just, I think, good insight into the mind and the emotion and, and uh, of the king and the, the, the respect and the influence that Daniel had, had gained. I think it's great insight into that and into the, the mind and heart emotion of the king. But notice this. We see nothing of the emotions of Daniel, do we? We don't see anything of the emotions of Daniel. Daniel was writing this himself. He, he writes nothing for us of, of his own emotion, which I think is very important. Here's why. Here's, the, here's question number two to ask in, in the challenge of life. The question is not, what do I feel? Rather, what do I do? The question is not, what do I feel? Rather, what do I do? And this is not to diminish the authenticity of our emotions. We are emotional people. We emote. We have emotions. But what matters in the end is not what you felt in the middle of the trial. What matters in the end is what did you do through the trial? What did you do through the trial? And that matters for Daniel. Here's here's what I mean. Honestly, if I can be honest with you, I find myself periodically thinking, it would be really nice to revert back to my college job. It would be really nice to be a pizza boy again for the rest of my life. I mean, it was fairly mindless work, and the greatest struggles that I had then was I got a $2 tip instead of a $5 tip. That would be really nice to go back to delivering pizza. I mean, all the pizza a guy could want, I mean, that was incredible, right? My car forever, I think for like four years after, smelt like pizza sauce, and, and it was just a wonderful thing. And, and sometimes I think, man in the trials of ministry, and, and emotions are up and down and all over the place, sometimes I think, man, wouldn't it be great to be a pizza boy again? Wouldn't it be great just to not have this weighing on, on, on me heavily all the time? That would be great. But the fact is, see, there's, there's feelings and there's fact. And I have these feelings and we're emotional beings, but the fact is that I'm confident that God has called me to, to pastor, to lead a church and to lead this church, and so I have to get back to it. I have to jump back in it. And, 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 and I'll say it because you won't say it, right? But there are times in our lives when we don't feel like being Christians. Like, you ever wake up and you're like, today I don't want to be a Christian. Today I want to sleep till one in the afternoon. Today, I don't want to get up and read my Bible. I just want to sleep. Today, I don't feel like being nice to her, though God calls me to. Today, I don't want to be a Christian. Sometimes we, we feel like that, but we don't base our faith on feelings. We base our faith on facts. And the fact is the person and the work of, uh, of Jesus Christ. And that's what we base our, our, our faith in because our feelings come and go and are up and down and up and down and up and down but there's a fact and that is that christ died for our sin according to the scriptures and he rose again offering life to us if we would place faith in him and so we are emotional beings some of us more than others but we put our faith in in the facts and if you base your 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 faith in your emotions and you live by your emotions solely some of you right now would probably be locked up right for hurting someone who has caused you to be angry. Some of us would have ruined marriages. Some of us would be in in so many different crazy places in life if we live by our emotion. But we know that we live not by emotion. We live by our our, our fact, our fact. And, and, And this is so much more true even in life's trials. You think Daniel had emotions? You think Daniel, as he stands before the den of lions, is not freaking out? I I think he probably is, but he doesn't give us the testimony of his emotion because what mattered in the end is that God brought him through it. God delivered him. And so he leaves us the facts and not the feelings. And for him, he allowed his facts to outweigh his feeling. And the facts are, again, for Daniel, that God has done great things. God has been faithful to Moses, Daniel must be thinking. God has been faithful to Joshua. He must be thinking, God was faithful when I first arrived here so many years ago. And God has given me this position. God has been faithful to bring my three friends out of the fiery furnace. God has been faithful, faithful, faithful. And he starts to think back to the facts, and he can move forward. But if he thinks to his emotion in the moment, it's going to overwhelm him, and he can't. And he knows, I can count on the facts of the Lord and, and this is what Daniel did. He trusted in the facts, not the feeling. And then, verses 16 and 20, I love how Darius points these things out in verses 16 and 20. They both tell of what Daniel did. Here's what he did. It wasn't about what he felt. It was about what he did. And what he did in the trials, according to Darius, was that he continuously served God. Isn't that awesome how twice... When things are repeated in Scripture, it's a big deal. Twice he says, your God whom you serve continuously. Your God whom you serve continuously. That was Daniel in the thick of the trial. No matter how he felt, continuously he served the Lord. Continuously, as in James 1, your emotions and your questions come and go. You persevere in the trial. Continuously serve the Lord. So we ask, not what do I feel, what do I do? Final question, learn from the life of Daniel. Final question. The question is not, how am I affected? Rather, how can God be glorified? Not how am I affected, but how can God be glorified? Let's read 6.21 now. 6.21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? (laughs) So the king goes to see Daniel. And and he, he rolls a stone back, and Daniel looks up, and the first thing he says to the guy that just threw him in the lion's den, he says, live forever. <laughs> and that's, just, that's great. So it goes on. O king, live forever. May God, my God, sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me. But I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I love how he points out that he was blameless only after the fact that God saved him. Because maybe he's thinking, God, are you trying to refine me through this trial? Are you trying to make me better? Is there some sin in me that you need to deal with through this? So he doesn't point out that he was blameless until after the fact that, no, it wasn't that I had a sin that God was trying to deal with. It was the fact that God wanted to glorify himself. So he says, yes, I was, I was, I was blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm, verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones in in pieces. So we'll stop there for now. So God sends his angel to protect Daniel by shutting the, the mouths of, of the lions. And Daniel is exceedingly glad that or, or Darius is exceedingly glad that Daniel has been delivered from this den uh, of lions and no harm was, was found in him. And why does it say no harm was found in him? Because he, he trusted in his God. He had faith in the fact and the fact was his God has been faithful in the past and he will be faithful in the future. He put faith in the fact and not in, in the feeling. And then it says that Darius had the accusers thrown into the den of lions in accordance to the tradition of the Near East of, of those days. The tradition was that false accusers would get the punishment that they were demanding. And so they got that punishment. Sadly, though, it goes on and it says, in a, it says that the families of these men were, were thrown in as well, which is not a God decision, is not a God thing. It was the brutal brutal practice of the the persians it was sad it was sad but a lot of people went into the den that day and the lions devoured them before they even hit the ground and so we see that it wasn't that the lions weren't hungry it wasn't the lions didn't have an appetite some some liberal scholars will look at the scripture and say well they just weren't hungry or they would say oh they were really really old but no it was clear they ate the people right after that before they hit the ground so there were a lot of lions in that den and daniel saw this wonderful miracle of of God as he delivered him from from the lions now let's read on daniel 6:25 to the end then king darius wrote to all the people nations and languages That dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. My kingdom shall never be destroyed, or his kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. He kind of sounds like the psalmist now, right? He's so. Uh, just just excited about the Lord. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So we see this wonderful testimony to God in the life of of Daniel. What Darius does is Darius acknowledges the Lord here. He's written a letter to the world as he knows it, to the known world at that time. He writes this letter to be dispersed to all of them declaring the greatness of the Lord. I mean, this is great press for the kingdom of God. This is, a, this is a big, big deal that this letter would go out to all peoples of, of the known world. That is a big deal. And so we don't know the effect of the letter. We don't know what corners of the known world then turned to the Lord and began to praise him because of what God had done in the life of Daniel. We don't know. And so the question, though, is not how am I affected? Daniel didn't say how, how am I affected What are you thinking, God? That was the scariest thing I've ever done. I'll have nightmares for the rest of my life. He didn't say that. It's this wonderful example of how God is glorified as he brings Daniel through it. Daniel was affected, to be sure, through all of his trials, to be sure. But God was glorified. And so at the end of our lives, our greatest struggles, our greatest difficulties, our greatest challenges will be that drop in the bucket compared to to the glory that is awaiting us and the glory that God has received by using our lives in good and in bad for us. He has been glorified. So let's be very careful with this, though, as as we finish this up. We need to be very careful to see that believing in God as Daniel did is not a guarantee for deliverance from the den of lions. Know that, right? We need to know that just because you believe in God doesn't mean you're delivered from everything. Isaiah believed in God, and Isaiah was sawn in half. Right, Peter believed in God, and Peter was crucified upside down. Stephen believed in God, and Stephen was stoned to death. And so it could have gone like this. It could have gone that the very angel that shut the mouths of the lion could have been the very angel that escorted Daniel before the presence of the Lord. Nonetheless, God would have been glorified. And so it means that we don't trust in God to save us from everything, but we trust in God for His will and His best, for His kingdom and for the, His glory to be recognized and known on this, this earth. And so it's about trusting in the will of the Lord. And this is a great text, and I pray for you this morning that, that God has encouraged you. Many of you maybe are in the thick of it even as we speak, and, and I pray that this would just be an encouragement to you. I pray for, for others of us it would be a good preparation for you as you begin to maybe near trials of life that are inevitable to come. And, and as they come, please don't let the trials that come your way push you away from the Lord as they often do. But let them draw you nearer to the Lord as they, they did Daniel. And as you do that, you'll see God be glorified and you'll see incredible things happen in your heart and in your life as you let your trials push you to the Lord and give you a greater sense of Him. So the questions again, Not how can I get around this, but how can I get through it? Not what do I feel, but what am I to do? Not how am I affected, but how is God most glorified? Let me pray.